This is Saving Grace, Living in the Light of God's Love, a broadcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. And now, our program. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's program. Where are you and where are you going? How will you get there? These are questions that every individual, every family, every ministry, and every workplace must answer if they are to succeed in living life on purpose for God's glory. And you know what? It's not about you and me, but it's about the people that you influence, the people that we lead. We're talking today about servant leadership. Our guest is David Kunert. David is a servant leadership trainer, equipping people to influence the world through transformed character, effective leadership, and cultural engagement. David is the author of Servant Leadership, Influencing Others to Get There by Leading a Transformational Life. David retired from a 23-year career in the United States Army as a command sergeant major and earned his MBA from Columbia Southern University. He currently serves as the production manager for Crown Quest Operating and is the director of The Crossroad. David and his wife Beth live in Midland, Texas with their four children. Welcome, David, to Saving Grace, and thank you so much for your service to our country. Oh, thank you, Carmen. I'm excited to be here and spend some time with you today. Oh, I am as well. Well, tell us, if you will, some of the motivation behind your book uh, and the servant leadership training that you do around the world. Yeah, we've been so blessed to have this go where it's gone so far, and it's really exciting to be a part of what God's doing. being a part of his plan. Uh, you know, being in the military, I, I was blessed to see some pretty amazing leaders and learn so much about leadership from them. And then as I transitioned into the civilian world, if you will, and coming to Crown Quest and working with the people here and Tim Dunn and guys like Herman Eben and seeing how it's applied in, in the oil and gas companies. But we, we really looked at how can we take this stuff that we kind of put together and find a way to take it cross-culturally. Keep mm. it simple and yet make it impactful all around the world. And it's, as you know, with all the different cultures out there, it can be very difficult. Yes. So we, we looked at all of these books and all of them are wonderful. And there's so many great books out there and all the messages that there are and realized that really is scripture. And, and scripture, of course, written at a time of subsistence farming and herding, it's really hard for us to relate to sometimes. Yeah. So how can we take that and turn it into terms that people understand today in business terms or psychology terms that people can really get? And so that's what we attempted to do is take some of that scriptural stuff and some of these tools you read about or some of these, these principles you read about and all these great how-to books or business books that are out there and, and develop a tool set for them. Mm-hmm. We spent a lot of time doing that and started off just kind of as a course yeah. As the servant leadership course developed, we created a study guide. And from the study guide, well, we kind of turned that into the book that's out there today. And really just in an attempt to to get the word out there, more of the mm-hmm. Great Commission, just another venue that maybe people would read the book and be able to use the material. 
Absolutely. Well, I tell you, here at Grace School of Theology, we love the book so much that all of the employees, all of the staff, uh, use this your book, Servant Leadership, as a textbook for a course on leadership here at Grace School of Theology. So uh, we just think very highly of it, and that's why we wanted to share you uh, and your story with our listeners, David. You know, John Quincy Adam is attributed to the quote, if your actions inspire others to dream more, to learn more, to do more, and become more, you are a leader. I love that, and you quoted it in your book. Share and explain your definition of leadership, David, which I believe encompasses President Adams' definition. Yeah, I think he was spot on with what he said. That was uh, very well said by him. And, and you know, the Army has a definition of leadership, too. It's the art of influencing others to accomplish a mission by providing purpose, motivation, and direction in mm-hmm. order to improve the organization. Mm. And it's like, oh, gosh, that's a great definition, too, but it's awfully wordy. (laughs) So (laughs) looking at how do we want to define leadership, really, it comes down to that word inspire or influence. Mm. And uh, Paul talks a lot about this in Scripture, influence, and and the spiritual gift of leadership. And it's funny what he says there, because everybody kind of wants to be a leader, but he says, lead with diligence. Oh my gosh, lead with diligence, of course. Yeah. Now you have to be careful with how you lead because you're always influencing mm. for good or for bad. It's right. It's so important to keep in mind. And so, yeah, I think John Quincy Adams was right with the positive connotation, connotation there for uh, what leadership should be to help people dream, be more, or lead, learn more, or do more. So we say leadership is influencing others to get there. And we have a model we call there here path. Yes. And uh, so we, when we say it's the influence, but we're influencing to go in a positive direction. Absolutely. And I love, too, the fact that what we're going to be talking about this week and next week as well um uh, applies to families. It applies to parents. You, matter of fact, you talk a lot about parenting. And I only point that out because everyone who's listening to this today uh, should be able to relate and should be able to apply it to their lives. That You don't have to be a CEO of a company to say, this is for me. No, if you are, uh, if you have a circle of influence, then you are a leader. And like you said, David, either for good or for bad, and we want to help turn that to good. Well, you talk about a their hair, their hair. Well, excuse me, that's a t- tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> a their hair path, uh, which can be used obviously for creative processes and problem solving, but obviously the idea behind these words is so much bigger than that. If you would, David, break down those three words: their, their, here path uh, so that we can come back to these again and again with the same uh, reference. Sure, yeah, so with the creative process, we call it, um, their here path is the creative process. So simply everything in life kind of follows this model. There's some place we're trying to get, that's the there. There's some place we are in, in reality, and that's our current reality or our here. And then the path links the here to the there. Now, the there is really hard. We're really not good at this as human beings. Is It's expressing this clearly, just having clarity of the there. Uh, we think that, you know, a typical organization is two or more people with a perceived common goal. We always say perceived because we're really not good 
and having that clarity of what we're trying to achieve. Mm. And, and we do, we see this in marriage, right? Right. We start off in life together and we're going to different places, but we start off on the road together. And after five years, that divergent angle has continued to grow. We say, oh, we just drifted apart. We didn't drift apart. We were never going to the same place because we never sat down and talked about what we're trying to achieve in our marriage. And the same is true with raising kids. It's the same in business and everything else like you just talked about. Mm-hmm. So having clarity over there, where does that clarity come from? Well, typically it comes from repetition. We have to say things over and over and over again. And if you've ever had any kids in school at 15 years old and they come home and, hey, guess what I learned in school today? You know, I've been telling you that for 15 years. But <laughs> you put it from someone else in a different setting, in a different environment, and it finally hit home. Typically, we have to hear things seven to 11 times before we hear Mm -hmm. it for the first time. We kind of joke about a rule of thumb we have around here, and it's if you've said it so many times, you're ready to vomit, somebody's finally hearing it for the first time. (laughs) We have to hear it so much. So the there is where we're trying to go. The here is where we currently are, and it's it's where we are in reality. And the path, along this path, we're gonna act, learn, and adjust. Every time we take a step down the path of life, our current reality has changed. Our mm. fear has changed. So we have to reassess it. Yes. And we've learned something, so we adjust our path to help us get there. Mm, I love that. Uh, and back to the idea of repetition, that certainly is biblical as well. We know that the Lord uh, repeated things over and over and over again because he had to, right? Uh, and and still, uh, his apostles didn't always get it. Israel didn't always get it. And to be honest, we don't always get it either. We, we certainly need that repetition. But the, the creative process is that's here their path, or the they're here path. The, the problem solving process is here their path, and that's the other way to use this tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, here their path is uh, reactive instead of proactive, and there's times in life we need to be in that mode where we're the problem solving or putting out fires, whatever you want to call it. The reason we want to kind of try to avoid that is because here their path, sometimes our current reality can be so bad that we just want to change it. For instance, if you had a, a, a loved one, a close loved one pass away, mm. you might uh, want to change it the way you feel so badly you'll do anything to numb that pain, which could lead to drugs or alcohol or inappropriate relationships, yeah. which can cause all kinds of other problems. So changing the current reality doesn't necessarily help. It just creates new problems. Not always, but that, that can be the danger of using HTP or hear their path. Yes. Okay. So so we'll understand our here and we'll understand our there. And then that path is the one that takes us to where we need to be. But, you know, as we talk about there, it's even larger than it seems because you talk about our transcendent there, uh, which is much more important uh, and, and you also have a tool uh, that you suggest that we use to find it. Help us understand that. Yeah, thank you Carmen for asking that. Um, so we, we talk about having a transcendent there for your life. Everybody on this earth has a purpose for being here. God gave us all a purpose. In fact Mark Twain said the two greatest days in a man's life are the day he's born and the day he figures out why. Mm-hmm. We are all put here for a reason And once we figure out what it is, we can name it, we can label it, and we can move toward it. But typically what happens in life is, especially for men, it's it's so prevalent. You know, 35, 40 years old, they come home from work and 
what am I doing this for? I go to work, I come home, I see the family, I go to work, I come home. What's the point? Mm. They lost their meaning. And in our culture today, there's a huge problem with lack of meaning. Yes. Well, we know when there's a lack of meaning, there's going to be a lot of problems. And this is so prevalent in middle-aged men, we call it a midlife crisis. We even name it. And it's uh, it, it can lead to some very bad places. Yes. But we all do have a purpose. We all have a meaning. And once we figure out what that is, man, it, it is so powerful. And we can find some great things and great places we can be get to in life. Uh, Viktor Frankl, he wrote Man's Search for Meaning in 1959. It's a great book. I really recommend it. Uh, he talks about, well, what about a there for uh, for your life being happiness? And, of course, anytime we're pursuing anything for ourselves, it's never going to give us what we want. No. I, I just want to be happy. Well, happiness is a choice. If you're not happy, choose to be happy. Because if you're pursuing happiness for you, you won't find it. Right. And Viktor Frankl says, happiness, like success, cannot be pursued. It has to ensue as an unintended consequence of loving someone other than yourself or serving something greater than yourself. So we know our there, and Jesus talks about this a lot too, we saw his example was something transcendent, something we can't achieve in this lifetime. It gives us a direction for our lives. I've, I've named mine as serve others to the glory of God. And yeah. for me, you could have the same there, Carmen, the same exact there, but you right. might execute it very differently. Right. My giftings are different than yours. That's right. So yeah. Recognizing that, um, we can look at it and say, well, I'm going to use my gifts, my superpower, in this manner to serve others. And now, let's, now I get to check myself. Am I serving others right now or am I serving Dave right now? In, in, what, I'm, in what I'm doing, serving God or glorifying God or am I glorifying Dave? Mm. And if I can't answer that correctly, then I know I'm on the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. our default isn't our transcendent there. It takes a lot of intentionality to keep us focused on that. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to come up with, are there, to get a statement, some kind of a, a shorter bumper stick, sticker slogan that can actually give us the meaning behind it is much deeper than the slogan, but you'll never remember it if you write this big, long thesis about your purpose on Earth. Right, right. So we want to have something we can remember. Mm-hmm. We can put it somewhere where we'll constantly see it and be reminded of what we're supposed to be doing. And, and one of the ways, as, as you pointed out, to kind of figure out what your there is, your transcendent there, your purpose. Yes. We call it the five whys. And I think I first saw this, uh, Peter Senge wrote about this in the fifth discipline. And uh, when we ask ourselves the five whys, by the time we get to the fifth why, we kind of get to the point of it all. In fact, I just met with a, a group this yesterday morning, and one of the young men in there said, well, does anybody have a there or a purpose? He said, well, I just want to be a millionaire. And, oh, I love it when they say that. It's always young men. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. So I said, well, well, why do you want to be a millionaire? Well, because then I can uh, start my own business. Oh, great. Well, why do you want to start your own business? That's the second why. Uh, because I want, to, I want to have a bunch of employees. Well, why do you want to have a bunch of employees? So I can have a large sphere of influence. Well, why do you want a large sphere of influence? So that I, I, can, I can serve them and influence them. Okay, well, there we are. Do you need to have a million dollars to do that? Mm. Do you need to have a million dollars to serve and influence people? No. That's a fine goal if you want to have a million dollars. I don't care what you do there, but that's not your purpose in life. Right. It's well beyond that. When we have something tangible, something we can achieve, and we actually reach it, it causes all kinds of problems. 
athlete. Yeah. You know, we saw this with Michael Phelps in the Olympics. Sure. He went to the Olympics, won all the gold medals, came back, went through a depression. Well, now what? Yes. Got into drugs, got into alcohol. Before he went to his third time at the Olympics, he read uh, Rick Warren's book, A Purpose Driven Life, and recognized there's something more to life than just just the gold medal. Mm. The gold is fine for a goal, but it's not the goal. It's not the purpose. And putting something before the purpose is really, it's idolatry. Yes, so it is. When we're supposed to be pursuing Christ, and we put something in front of that, we're going to have consequences. Mm-hmm. So the five whys is, is, uh, can be a, a real good place to start to figure out what that there is, and then recognizing that my there should be about those eulogy virtues instead of the resume virtues. And when we talk about that, we're talking about, you know, what are people going to say at your funeral? Are they going to talk about how many millions of dollars you had? Maybe the people inheriting it that will fight over it with. <laughs> right, right. Are they going to talk about how many sports cars or how many square feet your house were? No, not at all. They're going to talk about how you impacted the people around you the lives and the people you touched, because that's what matters in the end. Mm -hmm. And yet Mm -hmm. we'll spend all of our lives trying to achieve these things that fit on a resume, a corner office or a certain title, instead of the things that matter in the end. On your deathbed, you won't be wishing you made another dollar. You'd be wishing you had a little more time to spend and influence the people around you. Absolutely, particularly your family, those closest to you that you love. That will become your there, and it might be too late. So it's good to discover that now. You know, you uh, as great as knowing our transcendent there is for our journey, you stress the importance of understanding our here, our current reality. And I love what you say because it's true that we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're further along on our path to the there than we really are. So talk about why it is so important to understand our here uh, as we progress. The current reality, our here, is really difficult for us to know. Um, we, we are really bad self-assessors as human beings. And so when we think about where am I at, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses, we all have that spiritual gift, that superpower that we're just so good at, but we don't even know what it is because it comes so easy to us. We don't even think about it because we're not, we don't have to try to use it. Mm-hmm. So we have to sometimes get other people's opinions. Some, uh, we've got to get some help from somewhere. And what do you think my superpower is? This is a great thing to do in a small group or a community group, is to identify that for one another. It's, it's really powerful to know what you're really good at. Yes. You don't think you're good at it because it comes natural. The things you think you're good at are the things you're trying really hard to be better at. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a really good listener because I'm putting a lot of energy into being a good listener. No, the reason I'm putting a lot of energy into listening is because I'm not good at listening. It's hard, and it takes a lot of energy. Yes. And knowing our current reality is difficult. And so we can ask others, I have my assessment, and I can get your assessment, but reality might be somewhere in between. So yeah. figuring it out is really hard, and most of the tools that we talk about in servant leadership are all about understanding our current reality. Yes. If we don't know where we are, it's hard to get there. If I think I'm... I'm trying to go from New York to L.A., and I'm actually in Dallas. Well, that's going to be a tough journey. Yes. But that's how far off base we can be sometimes with mm-hmm. what where we're at in our current reality and not knowing our strengths, our weaknesses, our purpose, all those wonderful things. Yes, and I would think uh, also our personality traits, our spiritual gifts, all of those combined help us discover where we are now. But also, wouldn't you say that 
uh, just in our spiritual walk, uh, we may have maturity issues. We may have uh, issues with authority. We may, you know, there may be some things of that nature that we don't see in ourselves that are holding us back. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We, we often think that we're, we're doing much better in that area than we really are. Yes, yes. Well, you outline in your book seven tools that will help us better assess our current reality. Uh, And next week, we want to to have you back to dig into those deeper. But uh, let's look at the first tool, which is power or influence styles. So briefly, what are those styles from least to most influential? Yes. The, uh, the whole idea here is leadership is influencing others to get there. So having influence is really important. And if I want to influence people to accomplish something, how do I get more influence? So we talk through five different forms of influence or power. And this is all in the eye of the beholder. So if people don't see you as having this form of influence, then you don't have it. For instance, the first form of influence or power we say is positional. You can have influence because you have positional authority, like a parent, right. a grandparent, a manager, an elected official, a police officer. But if somebody doesn't see you as having that influence or having that position, um, some of this defund the police stuff we've seen in our country or not respecting police, mm. they wouldn't see police as having a position of authority necessarily. Or if your father figure hasn't been in your life the whole time and uh, they try to show up, you may not see that as any kind of type of influence because they haven't been around. So it's all in the eye of the beholder. So the first one is positional. The second one is coercive. And coercive kind of gets a negative rap. But if you're a parent, you use coercive all the time. Uh, If you go near that outlet again, I'm going to spank your hand. That's coercive. Coercive is the power to take away or punish. And so we often think of it very negatively, but we use it all the time. Sure. So if we want more coercive power, first of all, we have to follow through. If you say you're going to do something, if you don't clean your room, you're going to not be able to go outside. And then we let them go outside. We're only hurting our, 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 our power base. Sure. So if we have to follow through. And if you overuse it or abuse it, you will lose it. Hmm. Uh, the third one is reward power. It works the same as coercive. And everybody gets a trophy. No. Oh. Overuse of reward power. Definitely. The reward means nothing. But if you say, if you do this well, at the end of the year, you'll get a bonus and don't give the bonus, you're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. The fourth one we call expert power. And you don't need positional authority for expert power. This is uh, the subject matter expert. Oh, yes. This is the person everybody calls with questions or emails or texts. They're the person who uh, has demonstrated some expertise. And either you're the subject matter expert and everybody's calling you, or you put some barrier to communication in place between you and them. You keep your door closed, you don't respond, you're a prickly personality, something like that. But to get more expert power, it's just demonstrating what you know. And pretty soon, everybody starts to call. And the final one is reference power. And this is the most influential type of power. Mm -hmm. This is the power that comes from being a role model. We could spend a lot of time on this one, but ultimately it is uh, how you live life. How we live life really matters. That's what brings people to us and attracts them to us. Yes, yes. Finally, the five leadership styles, we have directive, transactional, participative, delegative, and transformational. 
directive is where we give them the their here path. We kind of tell them what to do. Transactional is what's in it for me. What can I get out of this? Participative is showing them the their here path. The delegative is where we give them the there, they figure out the path. But delegative is an investment in people. And this is hard to do because we're gonna give them the there, they'll figure out the path, but I'm in as, as involved as I need to be to make sure that the train doesn't go off the tracks. And finally, transformational is what's in it for we. This is a lot of referent power, and this is the point where we want to get to, where people's primary motivation isn't what they can get out of it, but it's serving the people around them and serving the mission. Mm -hmm. So transactional is what's in it for me, a lot of reward and coercive. Transformational is what's in it for we, a lot of referent power. Yes. Where people will show up. No, we don't expect them to show up for work, not expecting a paycheck by any means but it's no longer their primary motivation. Their primary motivation becomes serving others. Absolutely, and and, and just for to, to make sure everyone understood, we're talking about we, W-E versus me, you know, me, uh, because oftentimes we do see where it's all about me. Next week, we'll get into that a little bit about the culture of me versus a culture of we uh, certainly has done a lot of harm to a lot of folks. I always think of Mar- Margaret Thatcher, who said, Power and and uh, the ladies are about the same. Or uh, the way you you determine if someone has power, uh, if they say they have power, they don't. And it's kind of like uh, a woman who well says has to tell people that she's a lady. She's probably not. So I I think we do have to uh, really think about if if we are that referent type of leadership that people just want to follow us uh, because. I- what we want to teach them to do, David, as you as you would say, is to follow Jesus. Uh, and if we could be the kind of leader that that follow people follow us, then we can lead them to the Savior and and transfer that you know that uh, following to to the one who deserves it all. Uh, so, well, we have so much more to talk about, and I'm I'm excited to dig in this to this a little bit deeper. Uh, so, and uh, in, in just take a moment, if you will, then uh, just a, a brief comment about the fact uh, that we have two choices to use with the power, this power you talk about that God has given us uh, to, to use for Satan or to use for the Lord. Uh, close with that comment, please. These, these tools and influences are so powerful. You can use them for good or you can use them for me. Satan would have you use them for me all the time. God would have you use them for good and use them for we. And when we use them the way we're supposed to, we have an awesome opportunity to execute the Great Commission and show people and show each other and love each other and move toward where we're supposed to move versus moving toward loving ourselves and serving ourselves. Mm, I love it. Thank you, Dave Kuhner, for your invaluable insight today and for the wonderful work that you do to help people understand where they are, where they're going, how to get there. I encourage you, our listeners, to check out our program notes where you'll find more information about David's book, Servant Leadership, and the training courses for your church or businesses. We invite you to check out the many courses offered through our degrees program at Grace School of Theology or for those simply 
wanting to know and love our Savior more deeply, check out Grace on Demand through our Grace Center for Spiritual Development. Find more information at our website at gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu or download the Grace app. We're so glad you tuned in today. Please tell others about Saving Grace. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and it can never be lost. You've been listening to Saving Grace. For more information about Grace Center for Spiritual Development or this program, visit our website at gsot.edu slash center or download the Grace app through your smartphone. Views expressed on this program may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.